Hello and welcome to Time for Cakes and Ale, episode 18, with me Bex. And me Eason. And today is the 8th of July, which is Small Press Day. Woo! And Small Press Day is a celebration of small press publishers and there are things going on all over Britain and Ireland today. Um, there are signings, meetups, things going on in bookshops and we thought it would be cool to do an episode about some of the small press publishers that we really like and we managed to get in touch with three of them who all agreed to have a quick interview with us. So what you're going to hear in today's episode is I think firstly an interview with Mark Toner who's the co-founder and art director at Shoreline of Infinity and then we spoke to Ian Waits who founded Newcon Press and then finally Nigel Chumassi from Mayamada which is a British manga publisher. Yeah, so shall we crack on? Let's. So we're joined by Mark Toner from Shoreline of Infinity. Hello, Mark. Hello, how are you doing? And you're the art director at Shoreline of Infinity, is that right? That's right, I'm the art director. Uh, the kind of main uh, management of the thing splits between myself and Noel Chidwick, who's the editor-in-chief. So he kind of takes to do with the text, I take to do with the visuals, and then everything else we kind of cover in between, and have a vast army of great volunteers at the moment who are really helping us out with all the other bits, otherwise it wouldn't get done. So you launched in 2015, how did it all come about? Uh, well, it was one day Noel and I were walking the dog, um, so when we had this idea that, uh, well, I'll move film more of the background, it was just after the Scottish independence referendum, uh, Noel and I had been really busy with campaigning and all sorts of things through that, that period, and then it all sort of stopped, and we're thinking, oh, what do we do now? And uh, so, <laughs> having got a lot of energy going, and uh, way back, Noel used to do lots of um, kind of fan uh, science fiction magazines with reviews and that sort of thing. And uh, I've always done comics as a kind of a sideline. So we thought, wouldn't it be a good idea if we just kind of got together and uh, did something like a proper professional uh, magazine that and, you know had some of these basically the, the connection with science fiction so science fiction stories science fiction art and whatever else we could we could find that would go with that so um, we thought well let, let's let's see what we can do and we started um, set up a little website and put a call for stories and then had about 600 stories the first week oh, <laughs> and uh, and then fortunately people popped up like uh, Russell Jones uh, who heard what we were doing and thought oh I'd like to do that as well um, so we could then get a lot more people reading these stories and picking which ones are going to go in and editing them and that sort of thing. And, uh, and then they, I started, I lost a bit of call out for you know, artists to let us know whether they wanted to illustrate this sort of thing. And uh, the way that worked was they would, lots, lots of illustrators now have their online portfolio. So they just email you, here's my portfolio. And I could go through and pick out some of those. So uh, eventually we had just picked our first story. And got our first. I actually discovered it in my old. Uh, I don't, does this have this in video or anything? I've got her down. <laughs> um, we uh, we got Clean Up in Deck Seven by uh -huh. Claire Simpson, which is our first story we accepted. It's one of the shortest ones we've ever had. It's only about two pages long. And we got Becky McCall from Glasgow to illustrate it. And they we were up and running. And then they, the whole thing started to come together very very quickly. And before we knew it, we had a, a magazine which was supposed to be. A digital magazine because well, that's great it won't cost us anything to print it or anything like that so we'll put out this digital magazine and lots of people want to buy them that way anyway with kindles and that sort of thing which is basically why the inside of it's always in black and white because the old kindles didn't deal with the color very well oh, okay. um, 
So, uh, so, that, so we decided, oh, we'll do it that way. And then we realised that once it was up online to be downloaded as a, an e-book, uh, you could have a print-on-demand option. So, oh, we'll just take the box in case somebody really desperately wants a printed one. And then suddenly the only things that people were subscribing to were the printed copies. <laughs> and uh, we ordered some and then we had a look and thought, actually, that's quite a nice wee thing to have in your hand. And uh, so we started taking this around places at conventions because you can show it to people. And uh, the, the print one's actually been the main, main seller ever since. So... We were here about eight, eight issues later. Uh, it's still going <laughs> amazingly. Uh, so, uh, and they we're, we're looking at actually building, we actually have to build a serious company underneath this now because uh, it's uh, it's not something we can do as a bunch of volunteers anymore. It's, it's a proper proper job. So uh, we need to, need to take that more seriously now. It, it was definitely how we actually came to notice it, going to conventions and seeing the, the actual physical books there and seeing the cover art and everything like that and being drawn to it. So, uh, do you have um, particular artists who do all your cover art, or do you, you kind of change it up? Or uh, we we have um, a team. Basically, we built up a little team of artists from that first set who kind of put themselves forward, uh, got the, the best ones and the ones that would actually you know, work quickly and respond quickly when we need things things done. So there's about it varies sixty artists that we have in our, our group. Occasionally, one of them becomes rich and famous, and we can't afford them anymore, so we have to get another one in. Um, in fact, I've just uh, yeah, Sarah Julia, who did uh, four covers for us. Um, she's she's actually become rich and famous, but she still wants to work for us, but actually doesn't have the time most of the time. So uh, you know, she's, she's become very successful. So we've had to uh, get a few more in to take up her workload because she worked very fast and, and very well. Um, so um, yeah, so there's a wee, a wee team and I keep that going. And so there's a list of those and where the websites are, so you can check what sort of what their art looks like. And then when a story comes in, uh, I, I kind of look at the story and look at the kind of styles that they have, and I pick somebody to to match to that. So it's it's all bespoke stuff. Um, the, the normal way that you run a, a science fiction magazine, which keeps the cost down, is you go to people's sites where they publish their portfolio of science fiction art in the hope that somebody will pick up some of it and stick it in the magazine and they, you get that for nothing. Um, whereas we actually pay a, a small pittance just to kind of, you know, you know show willing. Um, well, one day when we're earning lots of money, we're hoping to pay full industry rates, but we're not quite at that yet. But uh, yeah, so so it's it's all it's all uh, it's all handpicked uh, from a little team. But that's not to say if anybody's wanting to be an artist in Shoreline, they shouldn't get in touch with us. I've had a, two or three in touch recently that I'm trying to get onto the list again because... Uh, uh, they're actually very good. I quite like to get some work from them. So, yeah. So, what kind of mix of stories goes into a typical issue and non-fiction as well? Yeah, it, there's there's a bit of a blend. Um, we're actually we're actually counting up what we did and comparing it to other people just recently. Um, it's more, mainly uh, probably about two thirds of the magazine is is uh, short stories, so uh, prose fiction, um, and the, the longer ones of those have illustrations go with them. And then there's a there's a section of reviews and that's sort of uh, non nonfiction stuff. A couple of we've had a couple of columns. We have one uh, running at the moment, um, which is the uh, by Ruth Booth, um, and uh, she she does a thing called um, Noise and Sparks, where it's actually she's she's a a kind of up and coming science fiction writer, and she's writing a, a column about how to be an up and coming science fiction writer. So it's quite, it's been quite quite interesting to see what happens there. Um, so that's a, that's a, the smaller part of it. And then there's a, a, a big bonus. Uh, I said we got a character called Russell Jones involved to help us with our editing, and uh, he's a, he's got a PhD in poetry, and uh, he knows all these science fiction poets 
which we didn't know that was a thing. So there's actually a section at the back, uh, maybe a little bit uh, about the last tenth of the magazine, where we have um, science fiction poetry. And then the, not to have the artist just serving the writers, we've also got about four to six pages of the magazines taken up with a comic regularly now. Uh, we have uh, a character called the Beachcomber who will uh, come in and tell us a story. Um, so that's that was initially, uh, we thought that has been maybe kind of an educational thing where we could maybe retell bits of an old classic SF novel, but I found it very difficult finding out who has the rights to these things and whether you can get the rights to make a comic or not. Um, so actually it tends to be a bit more generic than that. Um, a couple of issues ago we did um, a history of Martians in science fiction. There's a kind of a story being told by the Beachcomber. And then sometimes we'll just have somebody has a really good comic idea, so we just have the Beachcomber introduce it and then that, uh, that goes on. In fact, at the moment, uh, we've got our current cover artist, um, Steve Pickering, he, he wrote a story based on a, a true uh, adventure that happened to him in a holiday in Italy, which lent itself to a science fiction story. So uh, we we did that as a as a comic, and uh, that's introduced by the Beachcomber as well. So if you want to find out who Space Enforcer three thousand is, uh, you just need to go a little bit north of the Freese's little village, and that's where he actually lives. So, uh, so it's, a, it's a real person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's it. That's the mix. That's it. So that's that's it. It, it gets we we look at it every so often, and uh, you know, fresh it up and maybe tone down one bit and increase another. But generally, that's it. That's the mix at the moment. How important do you think it is for small presses to actually be bringing that kind of mix of different styles and, and new writers and, and new artists actually through, given that a lot of the big publishers seem to be kind of moving out of the spaces of short fiction and poetry and, and art and things like that? Yeah, well, I, I, that was one of the reasons why we, we thought we should do this, um, because we were just, as we walked the dog, we were thinking, yeah, is there a science fiction magazine out there that, you know, that's doing this, you know, because we get to send stories and stuff into it. And then we realised that there were only one or two in the whole of the UK. Uh, and even then, they weren't necessarily doing the, the sort of stuff that we, we thought they should be doing. So there seemed to be a gap. And there certainly wasn't one in Scotland at all. So uh, we thought that uh, this was what this is what Scotland needed was a science fiction magazine. <laughs> so uh, and it turns out it, it is, a, it is a, a very big community across, uh, across Scotland, particularly Red bit Glasgow and Edinburgh, uh, of uh, writers and and artists who who are looking for for outlets. Um, one of the things that say I, I was reminding you all about is that uh, the the world's comic industry would not survive if it wasn't for all the writers and artists that come out of Glasgow. <laughs> uh, so you go to DC Comics and you read a story about Superman. It's written by a guy from Glasgow and it's illustrated from by a guy from Glasgow. So um, uh, so we thought, well, yeah, there's there's obviously a talent pool there that we could we could bring in. You know, the ones that aren't famous yet would would work for very little money, and we could get the magazine up and running with that. Uh, so we've got that, and then there's this is a long publishing tradition in Edinburgh, so it was an ideal place to set this up, and that's where a lot of the editorial team all all, all live. So we've we've got uh, got that there. But uh, they said there was a need for a magazine that people could submit stories to because uh, they they've been dwindling recently, and uh, I think it's just the the, the bigger publishers. You get a time of uh, you know, recession and so on, and they try to play safe. So they all they want to do is just big uh, bestsellers that you know you can put in the airports and sell to people who are on holiday. They're not really interested in anything that's a bit more risky and uh, let's try somebody new. So uh, so that that's we've decided we're, we're going to try the new people and uh, and be away in that way. Uh, and uh, but also in spinning off that, we're we're looking at actually doing some some books and novels by these people as well if we get get somebody good along. So. Uh, so some plans for some other things coming up uh, over the next year or so 
that might be uh, you know, more long, long fiction as well. How does it all tie in with the Event Horizon live events that I know you guys sometimes put on? Yeah, they, well, that that's sort of grown out of nothing really. Um, we, I mean, Noel and I is well, the reason that we were walking the dog is because we got together that day to to rehearse for our, our prog rock band that we're, we have called the uh, Painted Ocean, and uh, so we like to put on a show with things. So when we got this magazine started, we had the first issue. We thought, well, let's uh, book a venue in Edinburgh and we'll have a big launch and we'll get the band in and we'll do science fiction music. And uh, by that time, we'd contact Russell. He said, oh, I'll get you some poets who recite science fiction poetry. But this that's going to be a good good uh, event. So uh, we, we, we booked the Paradise Palms in Edinburgh, just near the university. Thought it'd be a good place to go. Uh, had a big uh, event. Uh, lots of people came along. Uh, lots of people wanted to come along and missed it. And he said, can you not do it again next month so we can come too? And uh, we thought, oh, that, that's a, we hadn't really thought of doing it again, because this is just the launch of the magazine, that was it. Uh, but the, uh, there was, there's a little bookshop, a little uh, comic shop in Edinburgh called Deadhead's uh, Comic Shop. And they, they had some space at that time. That has since moved to a smaller premises, so we're not, we're not doing it there anymore. But uh, they said, oh, you can come and do it at our place next month. So we said, OK, we'll go and do one there. And then they had one the next month and the next month and the next month. So they, they became these event horizons. And uh, it's become part of the kind of community building thing that goes behind the magazine. So uh, we, all the basically all the staff tend to come along, and uh, all their friends and uh, lots of you know people locally who want to get involved with it come along and find out well, what's this about. And uh, we've also started being a bit of a showcase for uh, bands and poets and so on who who perform science fiction stuff. So I think the only thing we've been short of is we probably need some a science fiction dance troupe. I know I think we've got the whole set of arts that you can get involved with science fiction. So uh, so that's going on. The thing we'd like to do with that is it's actually it might be interesting to your, your listeners is that we'd like to package up the idea of an event horizon so it's like a, a science fiction Tupperware party. So the idea is that you, you contact us saying we would like to put on an event horizon in our local pub or community centre or whatever. And we'll say, that's fine. You gather up some local musicians and poets and so on who want to do science fiction. And we'll send you a box load of magazines. And uh, if you want posters, stuff, we can provide that as well. And the basic idea is you put on the event horizon and it's an event horizon as long as you sell the magazine at it. And uh, so it becomes a kind of a party where we're kind of... Stimulating, but we'd love to have those going on all around the world because uh, that's where we get our new readers from. So, you know, if they're just happening in Edinburgh, it's not going to do, do much for our international sales. So, so if you fancy doing an event horizon, you you can do an event horizon in your town. It's actually not not too difficult. You just book a pub and say here it is, and everybody comes along. So, that sounds fantastic. Maybe we should do one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, they're great. And you meet all sorts of very strange and interesting people when you do it as well. So how would people get in touch with you? Um, where can they find you? Uh, best place to get this is on their own website, because uh, that's where you can buy the magazines, you can contact the, the team, you can put yourself forward for jobs or just generally leave comments. And our website is www.shorelineofinfinity, just as, as written, but all one word, and then .com. And that will get you onto our website and you can... Uh, see what we're up to. We, we publish what we're about on there as well, so the, the event horizons are all advertised there too. Cool. And are you going to be at any upcoming conventions at all? Well, uh, we, we've just done the uh, Glasgow Comic Con on Saturday there. That was quite good fun. So I was sitting drawing stuff for people and flogging magazines there and chatting to some nice people next to me 
who make a, a, a traditional 1950s style horror comic, which is really interesting. So there's all, all sorts of people who maybe do that. Uh, and then, of course, we did do things like the EasterCon. Um, the next thing we're actually likely to be involved with is the Edinburgh International Book Festival. And there's an event coming up there, which is just about to be announced, called Unbound. So if anybody's in Edinburgh for the festivals this in August, uh, look out for Unbound, which is a science fiction event um, run by Ken McLeod, the Scottish science fiction writer. And uh, we have got the official magazine in there, so there's a special edition showing of Infinity, which will be on sale at the event. And uh, it's a kind of showcase of Scottish writers and artists and Edinburgh stories with a kind of an Edinburgh feel to them as well. So there's, so there's well-known ones and new ones and all sorts of things in that. Uh, but there will be an event horizon that night, except it'll be called Unbound because it's the uh, it's Ken's uh, event, not ours. Uh, but it'll have poets and music and all that sort of thing as well. There's a couple of collections that you did, um, Galactic yeah. Festival and Elements of Time. How did those come about? Because they're quite unusual. Yeah. I think I've actually got elements of time here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. It's basically people that Noel and I have known for quite a long time. Um, the uh, the Galactic Festival is a, is a collection of uh, puzzles. Uh, yeah, because we do science fiction puzzles as well. That was another thing. Uh, the 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 backstory that is that Noel and I first met up back in the early 1980s when we were both postgrad students at a, the Royal Observatory in Edinburgh. Um, a lot of this all stems out of being astronomers together. In fact, I used to draw a comic for the um, the newsletter that went to all the observatories all around the world, which is why I, I failed to get a PhD back then, because I spent more time doing that. Uh, no, I actually gained the master's he was hoping to do, um, but uh, we started bands and things back then. But also we uh, had another uh, acquaintance, in, uh, Paul Holmes, who is who actually wrote the comic that I drew, um, but he also is really keen on making up puzzles. So he, uh, he generates all these things with kind of science fiction stories built into them, and, and so we we collected together some of those and put together a, a book of those. And that's that's where that that one came from. Um, the other one is the the Elements of Time is a, is a, an old uh, novel of uh, Duncan Lunin's, and I've known Duncan since the 1970s. Uh, we were involved in all sorts of promotion of uh, space technology and all sorts of things that, that Duncan gets involved with. Um, and we just kind of happened to meet up again. Uh, I think it was at uh, Satellite 3, which is a Glasgow science fiction convention a few years ago. And uh, then he got wind that we were doing the, the magazine and said, oh, I'd like to involve that. So we've actually had a few Duncan stories uh, in the, the show line and, uh, and a, a review or two from him. Um, but he also had this uh, book which he had written, uh, a time travel story, uh, which was illustrated by Sidney Jordan, uh, who's a bit of a legend when it comes to science fiction illustration. He did uh, the the Jeff Hawk uh, a comic strip in the uh, the newspapers back in the sort of well, 50s, 60s, 70s. And uh, he had illustrated this thing as well and was happy for us to use his illustrations. So we thought well, we can't really miss up doing that. So, um, it's been out of print for a long time, so uh, Duncan was quite like the idea of getting it back into print. And so we thought, well, let's give it a go and uh, print an actual novel. So we, we, we got a we got together and we re reissued uh, Duncan Lunin's Elements of Time, which is available from all good bookshops on their website, uh, if you're looking for that sort of thing. And it's a really great uh, old uh, time travel story, so it's worth And the illustrations are fantastic. <laughs> so... What are your future plans apart from continuing the quarterly magazines? Have you got any plans to expand or do anything else? 
Uh, yeah, well, they, we're always looking to find new things to do. I mean, already there's a project coming online where um, on uh, four of the months in the year when we don't have the magazine coming out, we're going to have a, a book of novellas coming out. And that's, a, that's a, 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 the project of uh, Andrew J. Wilson, who's one of our editors, uh, who had this idea of, of of getting this this sort of uh, sort of medium form story uh, back out there, uh, and he has a, a number of uh, authors that he knows that are, are keen to. Uh, some of the bigger name ones who, who don't generally do very short stories, so we tend not to be able to get them into Shoreline, but uh, we might be able to get a book out of them. So so that's going to be running along uh, probably sometime next year before we see the first one of those. Um, there are some very vague ideas of some graphic novels coming out. Uh, in the short term, I might, I might actually be bringing a collection of the Beachcomber comics as an actual comic. Because uh, being at the comic convention, people are coming along and saying, well, what have you got? So we've got a book and there's a comic in there somewhere if you look for it. And so a few people bought that. But really what they were looking for was a comic. So we should we should have one that's, that's just like that. Um, but there's a number of other. And also the, there's a whole point of uh, how do we make the, the whole thing continue? So we're at the, the process of uh, trying to create a, like an artist cooperative that will run the magazine and all the publishing. Uh, with the aim of promoting uh, science fiction in all of the arts. So, you know, because we've got a few of them so far, we thought, well, let's go for all of them. And so if there's any science fiction dancers or people out there that want to get involved, they can they can join too. Uh, and um, and basically keep the, the events and things going alongside the, 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 the publications. So so there's a publishing thing and there's, a, there's events things, but it's really about uh, allowing creative people who are interested in science fiction to get their, their work out there. And they uh, were trying to make something that will outlast, you know, if no one like hit by a bus, it would actually still carry on. So uh, hopefully by the end of this year, or certainly at the beginning of next year, there'll be things to announce on that, and uh, we can we can get back to you and tell you all about it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really good chatting, um, and happy Small Press Day. <laughs> right. Well, thank you. And happy Small Press Day to all the other Small Press people out there, uh, and there's a lot of us. <laughs> so, uh, Onwards and upwards with that. <laughs> so we're here with Ian Waits from New Compress. Hello, Ian. Hello, Bex. Hello, Weasel. Hey. Hello. Uh, it's lovely to have you here. Uh, we're celebrating Small Press Day. And we thought it'd be fun just to have a chat to you about New Compress, about how it began, about what the role of small presses are in the publishing ecosystem, about the kind of thing you're publishing at the moment, and generally anything you feel like chatting about, really. Sounds good to me. I mean, I, I, I don't know half the stuff you want to know, but we'll, we'll see where we go. <laughs> yeah, happy to, happy to say what I can. So uh, last year... New Compress celebrated its 10th anniversary. Yeah, that's that's so scary. I, I can't quite believe it. I mean, New Compress started out as a hobby that was something I was going to do in my spare time. And, well, initially it was just supposed to be for one book, which um, was being produced as a fundraiser because I'd, I'd helped organise an event, which was a fantastic event, if I say so myself. It was brilliant. Sadly, no one else turned up. That's not quite true, but very few people turned up. It lost money. I wasn't holding any of the debt, but I thought, OK, what can I do? And I ended up publishing a book, um, which was an incredibly steep learning curve. But I did that to raise funds to pay back for the debt of the event. And um, that was supposed to be it. I, the event was called Newcon, so I used that as the title for the publishing company because, after all, it was only going to be one book, so who cared? And at the end, I suddenly held the book in my hand. I thought, I did that. 
I can do it again. <laughs> and here we are 11 years later. <laughs> so what was the second book that you published? The second was, an, uh, uh, the first one was an anthology, which is basically featuring authors who'd been at the event that made no money, but we had some very big name authors and some great stories. And the second one, again, I went the same route through a signed limited edition um, anthology called Dislocations. And to my great surprise, that one proved very successful. Um, Gardner Dozoir, American editor, he picked up on it and was a championing it. One of the stories in there by Ken McLeod won the BSFA Award for Best um, Short Story. The cover won the BSFA Award for Best Artwork. And various stories by Brian Stableford, Chaz Brenchley and Pat Cadigan were picked up by various places and recommended as Best Short Stories of the Year. So, um, yeah, it was a bit of a... Well, you know, I, 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 it came as a complete shock, but obviously a very gratifying one. So when you said about actually releasing that very first publication, um, on a scale of one to ten, how much more difficult was it than you expected it to be? Oh, good Lord. Um, yeah, I mean, in most instances, it was very much um, on ten. <laughs> I, I, but in, in fairness, I didn't come in with any expectations because mm-hmm. I hadn't done it before. I had some advice from some great, great people. Um, Ian Watson, who um, is, is a great writer and an editor in his own right, Ian was very helpful. A guy called Mark Robson, who'd self-published um, some YA books and then got picked up by a major publisher. Mark was incredibly helpful on how to go about actually getting a book produced and then out there. So I had some advice from great people, but it was still a ridiculous learning curve. I'd never edited anything in my life before. Um, so I had to learn all of that. I didn't know how to get artwork done. Luckily, I had a, a, a friend who um, was a Hollywood conceptual artist, Hollywood concept artist. And in fact, I've been chatting to him, Chris Baker, Fangorn, shortly beforehand, and he turned around to me and said, thank goodness I don't have to do book covers anymore. You know, I'm in films now, I don't do... So I found out and said, Chris, will you tell me a book cover? And, um, but that worked um, surprisingly well. So yeah, it was... Um, I was very, very fortunate. I had good people around me. That's the secret of success. Make sure you've got good people around you. So in those very early years, how many books were you publishing a year? Well, in the first year, it was one. In the second, it was one. As I say, this was going to be a hobby. The third one, it became three. And then gradually it seemed to increase slightly until I was getting up to doing nine or ten a year. And then for some reason, last year being the 10th anniversary, I thought, wouldn't it be a great idea to do twice as many as ever before? And I did 18, (laughs) which was a ridiculous number. So you're also a writer as well. Yep. How do you balance running a, a publisher <laughs> with, with your own writing? Very poorly is the answer to that. Um, the, the whole idea was that the writing would be um, at the forefront and, and Newcon would be uh, a hobby. But it's it's become increasingly Newcon has taken over a lot of time, particularly last year when it was the 10th anniversary. And that became um, all-consuming. Um, I, I took on far too much last year and... Um, I was burning the candle at both ends in the middle, round the corner and everywhere. And uh, the writing got put on hold. But I, I've done that, uh, sorted that out to a little, certain extent this year. Um, I've been able to finish the novel that was supposed to be finished last summer. And that's actually been released now. And I'm now working on a novel, hopefully, to get out for next um, early next year, next Easter as well. Do you think that being a writer gave you a, a different perspective on how to go about publishing? It did in many regards. I mean, um, I, I when when you're starting out and you're trying to work in the genre field where everyone gets paid such a fortune, <laughs> well, as you know, and, and for, particularly for short fiction, there's just no money out there. Um, and I was getting stories published for um, little money or no money or or just copies of books. 
and I determined from the outset, apart from the first book, which was a fundraiser, that I would always pay authors. And I've always had a base figure, which I pay even if the book then loses money. At least the author has had something for their writing. And so I, I think I was always from the beginning trying to champion the authors I was publishing as much as anything else. Um, and if I could do that, I, I in the early anthologies, I tried to get some big name authors because that's what, why people would buy the book. But then always try to put some lesser known names, some some up and coming authors, some debut authors beside them. Obviously, people I had faith in and, and felt were really good authors and good writers so that readers could discover these people and, and hopefully find people that they would go on and follow and, and would become big names themselves. Yeah, we've certainly noticed over the years that there are authors where one of the first times we really heard their names was in conjunction with a Newcom publication. Oh, that's great. Um, and then they've gone on to, to have a lot of success. So do you think that small presses are stepping into a gap that is being left by traditional publishing? I think, unfortunately, the way the publishing industry is going is um, in, in years gone by, when I was reading lots of science fiction by the big houses, there was something called the mid list. So they had authors who they knew were never going to make a fortune. They knew weren't actually big, big sellers, but they could afford to, to trundle along and produce their books and everything. But the hard economic facts is that publishers can't afford to do that now. Times are much harder. Times are much more difficult. And the mid list has disappeared. Um, also, I think because of the pressures brought about by, in the big publishers um, from the point of view of needing to show that something's going to be profitable. So if a book is a new author comes up with a book which um, an editor likes, they have to justify to the people holding the purse strings why they should invest in this book. And often if it's something that steps away from the norm that goes a bit beyond the accepted um, channel of, of, of what is popular, um, they can't do that. And that's where someone like me can step in and say, well, hang on a sec. I think this is a fantastic book. I don't have the overheads of the big boys. I'm in a better situation to take a chance to put this out and hopefully um, bring a new voice or a, a lesser known voice um, to at the attention of readers. And that's what I try to do on the novel front, etc. particularly. Yeah. And with the short stories that are published in the anthologies and collections as well, because that seems to be a, a space that's largely been abandoned by sort of big publishers. It's, it's the same thing again. When I first started doing Newcon, um, there was a lot of fuss and bother about the death of the short story because the traditional magazines that used to go to Asimov, um, analog fantasy and science fiction, their, their circulation was falling um, and people were saying the short story is dying. I don't think it ever was. I think a lot of stuff had moved online and there were different avenues allowing the short story to come out. But certainly the big, big um, publishing companies, again, a short story collection by an author used to be looked upon almost as a a thank you from the publisher because they the collection would never sell as much as the novel. But because the author had done well for them, etc., they'd say, oh, we'll put a collection out. They can now only afford to do that for the really big names, a Neil Gaiman or an Alistair Reynolds or a Charlie Stross. You know, any of their lesser authors, they simply can't afford to do that because they know it won't make money. But again, someone like myself, Newcon, I can then release that. And as you say, the anthology, when I first launched Newcon, nobody was doing anthologies in the UK. And that's now changed a little bit. There are a lot of more small presses, etc., doing them. And one or two of the medium-sized ones, Solaris, Solaris etc., they've moved back into the anthology market. But at the time, no one was. And again, in my logic was, well, they might not be able to make money, but maybe I can, and maybe I can give 
this wonderful form of, of writing, of literature, give it an avenue and give it a voice again. And that's what I try to do. So how important are um, things like conventions in terms of reaching an audience um, and launching titles and, and getting the books in front of people? Um, I've always found them very important. I mean, I, I, I'm a, a, <laughs> I suppose in many ways I'm a traditionalist in that when I, in my own writing career I, I went through the short story route first and got established in the short stories before I then tried to do a novel. And in that way I could approach agents, I could approach um, publishers that I'd met at conventions and say, right, I've now had two dozen stories published. One of them managed to fluke its way onto a, the BSFA shortlist for best short story. So I had some sort of track record to say to the agent and to the publisher, I'm writing a novel, would you like to look at it? Now, that didn't mean that the novel was going to sell to these people. Um, they still had a huge pile of stuff to read, but I think what it did was move it up the pile a bit. So it got read a bit earlier and maybe with a bit more sympathy, I don't know. But again, these are all through connections I've, men, I've made at conventions. And, and my biggest event now of the year, unless there's a Worldcon or something large like that in the UK, is always the Eastercon convention, which is the um, science fiction's annual convention in this country, which happens all around the country, but always at Easter. And I always have a very, very good um, response to new titles, to um, selling the titles at the Eastercon and other conventions as well, but particularly Eastercon. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's incredibly important to Newcon, certainly. And does it help being able to get, you know, lots of authors from an anthology together for a launch, um, you know, build some excitement about the book? I'm sorry for a lot. I thought he was going to say for a drink then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> both. I mean, yes, it, it does. I mean. At the end of the day, people talk about writing being a very um, lonely pursuit, and I can see how it could be. But we're very lucky in, in our field that there's a very strong community. And I, even before I was getting stuff published, I've met a lot of the authors, I've got to know them. Um, and I think that runs through the whole ethos of what New Compress does. So when you can have a launch and when you can ask authors to come along and when they turn up, it, it's wonderful and and there are still readers out there who are just as starry-eyed as I used to be and still am sometimes that wow I'm, I'm sitting next to Peter F Hamilton I'm sitting next you know I can't believe this and and we're signing books together it, it's a wonderful thing and there's still a really good response to that from readers and, and the authors like it they like to get together. So when you initially sort of have the concept of say a new anthology that you're going to put together what are the stages that you go through from actually that, that initial idea i've got a great idea i'm going to have an oh. anthology about this to actually getting it to that launch day in front of people it, it all comes through the the initial inspiration comes from different um areas i mean i'm doing one at the moment um in conjunction with the arthur c clark award um this year was would have been sir arthur's 100th birthday in in december so we're doing an anthology to commemorate that fact and we're getting fortunately we're getting some great great authors who are agreeing to take part um we've gone out basically to all the winners of the arthur c clark award and many of the shortlisted authors and asked them to write science fiction stories that are 2001 words long mm -hmm. and that's and that's that's a challenge in itself as anyone who's tried to write to that sort of stricture will know the thing is you get the stories in first of all you have to assess them and and the important thing to me is i will never I've never yet taken a story where it's come and I thought, this is an awful story, but he's going to sell books or she's going to sell books. So I'll put it in. 
if I don't like a story, I'll go back to the author and say, I'm really sorry. You know, no doubt it's a good story, but it's not what I'm looking for at the moment or, or something along those lines. You have to have quality control on what you're publishing. And I've always used the... Um, God, Laurie Gunther. <laughs> I don't know. I've always used the um, yardstick that if I would be happy to pay for reading this story, if I'd be happy to buy a book to pay my own money and find this story in there, then that's something that I'm interested in publishing. If I wouldn't, if I'd read this story and think I paid good money for this, then that doesn't get in. So that's a very subjective yardstick, but it's the one I've used and Touchwood, it's it served me pretty well. Um, so then, yes, you have to get sufficient stories in. You have to edit the stories, and that can be a pain. You have to agree the edits with the authors. Most authors are fantastic about being edited because they know that all all, all you're trying to do as an editor is, is show their work in the best possible light. One or two get a bit angsty, and you can have a bit of to and fro. That's fair enough, but at the end of the day, it's their story, and, and they have the final word. You then have to lay the book out. You then have to make sure you've got suitable cover art. You, there are a number of stages you go through, proofreading, etc., and then, yes, you suddenly get this wonderful, beautiful, shiny thing. And, oh, gosh, there's words in there. They make sense. They're fun. <laughs> it's a book. It makes a work worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, very much so. I mean, I still get a great thrill when the courier turns up at the door with cartons of books. Helen doesn't, you know, knowing that we've got to find room for these cartons of books <laughs> in, the, in the house. But I, I still get, do get great, great satisfaction and a real pleasure when I open a book up and think, a box up and think, wow, look at these books. They're lovely. And, and I'm lucky enough as well to... I know some fantastic cover artists and professional artists who I, I can't begin to explain how good their work is. And I've, they, they say you can't judge a book by its cover, but I think a, the beginning of judging a book is often with the cover. And if you've got a great cover, it's going to catch people's eye and hopefully that'll draw them into the book. And I'm lucky enough to know a lot of very, very talented artists, which, um, yes, I'm, I'm hum in huge admiration of them as well. You did a series of short story collections by individual authors called yeah. Imaginings. Did that come about because you just particularly wanted to see collections come out from some of these authors and they just weren't being done otherwise? Pretty much. I mean, it was a case of, at that time, as I say, most of the um, authors, even, even quite successful authors, weren't getting short story collections out there. And I, I was also looking to do something new. If you don't move forward, then you're going to end up wallowing and, and, and stagnating. And I wanted to do something different, so I brought out a subscription service. And what I did with the imaginings, there were no paperbacks. It was only signed limited edition hardbacks or ebooks. But people could subscribe. And that way, if you've got a signed limited edition, they could get the same number within the run and this sort of thing. But yes, I went to authors who I wanted to read collections by. <laughs> and um, the, 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 the wonderful thing for me is um, there, there's a lady who I have enormous admiration for, both as a person and an author, who's sadly no longer with us, and that's Tanith Lee. And Tanith was a dear friend. And I, I'd sorted out an initial tranche of authors to do the imaginings, made the announcement about the series coming out. And Tanith was in the part of which she was in the room. I wouldn't say she was part of the audience because Tanith's never an audience. But <laughs> Tanith was in the room. And she came up to me and said, I wish you'd ask me to do one of these. I said, would you? I'm quite shocked that she would do She said, I'd love to. And she ended up being number one in the series. <laughs> she got the collection in no time. And and to publish something by somebody I consider to be one of the finest wordsmiths that genre fiction's ever seen, um, to publish a whole collection by her, that was, um, yeah, that was a personal highlight. So that was obviously one 
you know, fairly major publication. Are there any other books that you've had out that you're especially proud of? Every single one, but yeah. Hard to pick Um, one, but... Oh, there there are a number. I mean, um, I'm I'm delighted. I've been able to champion a few novels which I think would have slipped through the cracks if I hadn't. Um, One being Nina Allen's The Race, which was picked up by by a major publisher subsequently and came out from... And in the mass paperback, uh, paperback, but again that would have disappeared from trace if if I hadn't said yep and I liked it and, and got that done. And, and another one is um, a novel by uh, uh, a South African, not born because he was born in Zambia, raised in South Africa, but now resident in the UK, author called um, Nick Wood, and that's called Zanian Bridges. Now this came out and um, it's got con- controversial content. It's set in a an alternative uh, South Africa where apartheid never died, Mandela was never freed. It got shortlisted for the BSFA award for best novel, it didn't win, but it's currently on three other shortlists. It's on the Sidewise Award, the John W. Campbell Memorial, Memorial Award, and a new um, award just out to uh, commemorate South Af- um, or sorry African speculative fiction. So it's currently sitting on three shortlists and was on a fourth with the BSFA. Now this is from a a small independent UK publisher and again that book would probably have vanished from trace you know and not been seen they're the things I'm proud of it's when I come there was another one in um I think it was the conflicts anthology I had a story in there by Chris Beckett which um Chris had tried to sell the story and other people had been well they'd said oh it's it's the it's too sensitive we can't publish it which basically reimagined the the Middle East situation but in England with the Celts taking back Britain and putting the English into a small enclaves and, and treating them. And so it was, it was it was something that commented on the world stage. It was something that commented on attitudes and things. And other publishers had told him, we, we can't do, publish this. It, it's when I can do something like that, when I can put something of quality out there, which might not otherwise have seen, you know, daylight. That's when I feel at my proudest. So what are your next upcoming <laughs> publications? Well, I've got a, a couple of things going on. Um, I decided a while back now to do a series of novellas. So I've been publishing four novella sets. Um, the first four were science fiction. I was lucky enough to get one from Alistair Reynolds, Simon Morden, Neil Williamson and Dan Charnock. And what I've tried to do is each set of four has one piece of cover art by an artist, which is then divided between the four covers. So each cover is separate, complete has its own identity but when you lay them side by side they make one cover piece of cover art and we've done an sf1 and the books are then produced in a slipcase set with a wraparound cover art we've got the horror and thriller ones coming out shortly and there's a wonderful uh, novella by alison littlewood that looks this year marks a hundred year and uh, um, the 100th anniversary of the Cottingley fairies the the girls who were f- supposed to photograph fairies and convinced arthur conan doyle and things and this story purports to tell the dark heart of what the fairies were really like via a series of letters from a, 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 a resident in the village. There's another one that's um, got a guy who is uh, being pursued by strange voices and by militant soldiers through the, um, the a blitz sort of filled London. And um, he stumbles on two old men who claim to be the real Sherlock Holmes and Watson and take on his case. <laughs> and so I've got these, they're all wonderful. There's another quartet coming out, which is set in Mars. And again, I'm loving these, these novellas I'm really, really enjoying. My most immediate next two releases come out, funnily enough, this, this coming weekend. And that's um, 
Donna Scott uh, um, has very kindly Donna Bond, um, same person, two names, just to confuse us all. Um, <laughs> she's very kindly edited the best of British science fiction, looking at all the short stories that came out by British authors or British-based authors during 2016. And she ended up with over 130 stories submitted and narrowed them down to two dozen, which we've got in a book, The Best of British Science Fiction 2016. And then the other book, which is coming out, at, um, we've got a launch event in London for anyone who wants to come to the Star of Kings, near King's Cross Station, one o'clock Saturday, come along, have a drink, buy a book. <laughs> um, but um, a guy called Andrew Hook, who, um, when I first started out with Newcom Press, Andrew had his own press called Elastic Press. And they've been going for a few years. They'd won a few um, British Fantasy Awards and things. And Andrew was always there when I said, how have you done this? And how do you do that? He was always there to offer advice when me, wet behind the ears, needed it. And Andrew closed the press down in 2008, 2009. And so I approached him a year or two ago and said, why don't we do a best of Elastic? From He did 30-odd titles for Elastic. And he's chosen his very favourite stories and we've got them in one anthology which again we're launching on Saturday so again they're, they're two books which um, yeah I'm quite excited about so if someone was slightly madly thinking about <laughs> getting into this game themselves what advice would you give to someone thinking about publishing something from themselves for the very first time not self-publishing but actually issuing something as a, as a small press or just getting started okay um Pete Crowther, who runs PS Publishing, who are a big small press, they're not really small anymore, um, he famously, when asked this question, will always say, don't. And that's his simple one-word <laughs> reply. I'm going to try and be a little more expansive than that. Um, don't expect to make a quick return. Don't expect this to be a get-rich-quick business. Do expect to have to put in a lot of hard work. Do expect to find frustrations at every turn but do expect to get a great reward if you can um, persevere through those. Um, I can only say what worked for me, whether that would work for anyone else or whether there are other avenues. I'm sure there are. But for me, I started doing the short stories because there was a, a niche there. No one else was doing anthologies. So I thought, great, do that. I started mixing and matching between talented newcomers who were struggling to find an avenue and establish names who would attract readers and that way I began to build up a client base. Um, basically know what you're doing. Don't don't just go out there and, and, and jump in and think I'm going to publish and see what happens. If you're going to do this, do it properly, says the bloke who jumped in. And, but, but anyway, so, <laughs> but, but seriously, you know, although I jumped in, although I did it in a haphazard fashion, I had a, um, certain goals in mind and I, I very quickly formed a mission statement which I thought would produce hopefully a viable business. Um, you, it's easy to sink a lot of money a lot of time for no return. Um, find something that makes you unique or makes you special and concentrate on that and if you find something that works well carry on doing that by all means try other avenues but don't ever lose sight of what has made you the success in inverted commas that you are. So thank you, Ian, for joining us. Uh, it's been really fun talking it's about... It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Um, if people are looking for new compress, where can they find you? Well, at a convention, normally you'll find me at the bar. but um, <laughs> Or in the dealer's room, I, I'm often selling. But um, there's also a new compress website, which is um, www.newcompress.co.uk. Um, that's got all the information on the books. 
personally I'm on Facebook and um, I'm always happy to talk to anyone so do come online I do have a personal website but that's being updated at the moment so um, yeah leave that a month or two and then look at ianwaste.co.uk and it'll rock at the moment it doesn't <laughs> but um, yes so, so New Compress is the main avenue at the moment or Facebook I don't do Twitter because basically I've got things to do time sync Facebook takes up enough of that time <laughs> so I try and stay clear of the Twitterverse and you've got an email newsletter as well. Yes, yeah. Um, anyone who wants to subscribe, it doesn't come out in any regular time. I don't pretend that I send it out once a month, but there are probably about 12, 12 go out a year roughly. But it can be, you know, two in a month. It can be none for a while. It depends whether I've got something to say. I don't want to simply put something out there for the sake of it. I'd rather put something out there when I've got something to say to the readers. And I'm lucky enough to have some very loyal readers. So, yeah, if I can talk to them in a semi-sensible and intelligible way I'll attempt to do so <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thanks again for joining us and happy small press day thank you very much it's been a real pleasure thanks a lot and and it's lovely to see Eason staying so quiet for a change as well. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you So uh, we're joined now by Nigel Chumassi from Myamada. Hello, Nigel. Oh, hi, guys. And we're here to talk a little bit about the work you guys have been doing because it's Small Press Day today. So when did you actually launch Myamada? What is Myamada? Um, oh, those are yeah, two uh, long and sprawling questions. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, so we actually started uh, the brand, um, in a sense, we started it in 2011, 2012. Um, so it had come from a, a failed attempt to start a brand that was also called um, Myamada with some friends um, with the idea of wanting to make Japanese-themed T-shirts um, and sell them at our university. But um, after sort of a year, year and a half, that quickly, you know, sort of, actually not quickly, it was kind of a slow, <laughs> uh, slow decline. But yeah, it never really took off. Didn't work out. The, uh, the initial group um, became a two, from five to two myself and my co-founder Lau and at that point uh, this was around 2011 we kind of took a step back and had to think about you know what we'd actually do as a brand so we had a, a real think um, and we came up with this concept of this uh, universe of characters and stories because we both like like cartoons anime manga uh, Japanese culture so that influence kind of stuck around um, but we also like creating stories so we thought, let's come up with something that allowed us to do that, but still makes sense. So we had this idea of a television network universe where we'd be able to create different stories that would represent shows within the universe. Um, and then, yeah, kind of sort of went ahead with that. It, it took us still like a couple of years to get our first comic, but, uh, from that point, that's when we, that was when we started. So I think I've kind of have covered both of those questions or when, when we started and what it is, uh, my matter is a universe of uh, characters and stories um, that are, yeah, television shows. Um, I think we first came across you guys at probably a Hyper Japan, mm. and we saw the stuff you were doing with a character called Samurai Chef. So was that the first thing you were really doing? Yeah, that was the first. I think, yeah, the first character, definitely the first like character that you know we had artwork for and and. 
like designs for um and in our first comic so from 2011 slash 12 from that having that um idea of the brand finding our illustrator so we had our we had everything set at that point we then um, we're still making t-shirts actually it's, it's a bit weird we sort of started with t-shirts first um before comics but um we then had this idea to do a kickstarter we um yeah so we had this like uh again quite ambitious um idea to raise uh things like ten thousand dollars to do four different stories um so naturally that did work out <laughs> we did we raise four grand which is not bad but we didn't obviously with kickstarter you don't get anything if you don't hit your goals so again we kind of uh took a step back uh we rethought things decided to go with one story and sort of focus in on that and that was samurai chef so we then did a indiegogo for samurai chef uh, and that was around 2013 uh, and we were successful in that and so yeah samurai chef is like the, the first kind of volume that we've released and then we've since released uh, a complete volume of that story yeah, and I think uh, one of them, which was it, Ambush, yeah. is one that I actually appeared in very briefly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, oh, you are in, uh, in the My Matter uh, law, as it were. <laughs> Immortalised on the page. Marvelous. <laughs> yeah. Like, so where did your idea of actually becoming um, sort of a complete brand come from? Because that's been a really unique thing I've seen with My Matter. Initially, I came to it as a source of some really cool british manga but then i've seen you guys have branched out or maybe you were doing that beforehand as well yeah so it, it wasn't i wish i could say it was like fully thought out <laughs> from the beginning but um because from the that initial attempt uh, and failure was about making cool t-shirts we still had that mindset carrying into the new thing so once we did have the the story ideas and the characters we were doing some um artwork and some comic work but our first thing like we went to our first comic convention was uh mcm uh, and we didn't even have a comic we just had like clothing and we had uh posters i think so it's it's from the beginning we wanted to do yeah i guess we, we've always been thinking of a brand because we felt that we wanted to get people into the universe and we didn't want like the comics to be the only way because we know not everyone is in necessarily into manga or comics um but we still felt we were doing something that was that was interesting we had interesting characters and we know um that we like the idea of cool t-shirts and and thought that people would as well so we kind of we've always been of the mind of combining the two as a way to tell the stories of the brand that's really cool so like as a as a small press, so you're producing everything yourself. I mean, how important do you think were um, uh, ideas like uh, Kickstarter and Indiegogo uh, central to getting a My Matter stuff off the ground? Uh, it, yeah, it was crucial, actually, to be honest, just because we didn't have that much money uh, at the start. So we're in a situation where uh, myself and Lau, we, uh, we write and sort of design and sketch, but we don't do the illustration, so we have an illustrator. Uh, and because we, you know, we want to pay people, you know, um, I was about to say as much as we can, but, but you know, what they deserve. So especially for illustrator who does really good work and, um, we've been working with her since, you know, the, the beginning. So, uh, we pay her. So that, that means we need to fund the artwork for our comics. Um, and as a, you know, we, from the beginning, 
kind of we funded things ourselves um and uh been able to like join the princess trust with uh who provided some funding as well um so it's been a combination of places but something like kickstarter just allowed us to um well kickstarter and indiegogo like number one is to uh get money and support for our project um but then also spread the reach because through the campaign as well as getting you know people like yourselves which were, you know, uh, eternally like grateful for people like supporting, uh, original work. So we had people, uh, buying the comic, um, in this country and other countries. We we're also getting some coverage in, um, in some websites along the way. Uh, and then as a new creator that, you know, helps like the validation of, Oh, you've been in so and so magazine or so and so website. Okay. I'll check it out then. Um, and that's, that's really important because. It's so easy to dismiss kind of like new work uh, if you've never, especially like with comics with you know the sort of big properties like Marvel, DC, and um, or the um, the manga, big manga brands, Naruto, Dragon Ball Z, and uh, so on. You kind of it's easy to get lost. Like people will just stick to what they know. So I think Kickstarter has been good in that, just allowing us to raise our profile a bit more. So could you tell us a little bit about well uh, beyond Samurai Chef, the stuff you've done with uh, Sirius and Hot Lunch as well? Yeah, so, um, like, Lau and I kind of almost been taking it in turns to write stories. So we each have our stories. So I wrote Samurai Chef, uh, and then our process is, you know, we, we discuss ideas, we go back and forth, and then sort of the, the final decision as it were is with the, the writer. Um, so once we got Samurai Chef out, it was then a case of, okay, we've got this, uh, this brand, this universe that we want to build up. And the universe is a combination of stories. So we need to get more than one story out. So like before, you know, I mean, it's good that people recognize the Samurai Chef, but we just wanted people to know early on that there are other stories. Um, so yeah, so from that point, we then went to, um, working on, I think it was, uh, Sirius came next. Um, I'm going to fact check that later, but I think, yeah, Sirius. So Lao's story, uh, is, uh, Sirius, which is about, it's kind of a, a meta story, loosely, very loosely based on ourselves. Uh, we're both from, uh, live in London, um, from places that aren't, don't have the best reputation. Um, but we wanted to make a story about people who have like ideas, who have dreams, who have goals, uh, and just persevere through challenges, um, to achieve them. So we had this idea about a young rabbit called Blake, who's from a sort of small, town um, called Serverton and has this ambition to build a business and go and prove himself in the big city which we've called the jungle um, so then along the way it's like an adventure story so along the way he picks up or he recruits his um, his business team and again they just meet different challenges along the way to the jungle and then you kind of see how it uh, unfolds there um, and then hot lunch again um, and it's, it's all about like bringing different ideas into our story so uh, hot lunch. I got the idea from uh, actually a uh, novel uh, series that I had read. Um, uh, so it's about this uh, this team of um, uh, I'm going to say noble thieves that are on this uh, mission to bring down this shadowy organization of uh, restaurant owners who are who control the restaurant trade in Japan. And on the face of it, they're kind of uh, I guess like benevolent. They're you know ensuring high standards, but Underneath the surface, surface is like, uh, some kind of, you know, corruption and, and things like that going on. So the main character, Taishi, is a, 
you know, is, is uh, kind of against that injustice and that imbalance of power. So uh, you kind of see his motivation develop uh, and then um, that then continues into the rest of the story, which I'm actually in the process of writing the full volume. Um, so I, um, I saw a, an intriguing tweet from today suggesting you might actually be returning to Samurai Chef as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, oh wow, that that came back to uh, bite me quick. That was a record. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I mistimed that tweet. No, uh, we've got. <laughs> so the Samurai Chef is uh, without uh, giving away spoilers. I guess you guys know, but uh, is a complete story. So it um, when it gets to the end, it ends. And um, while some of our stories would be like multi-volume, that story is is just that one book. Um, but because you know we like the character um i've just been thinking of ideas where we can use the character not necessarily in the same show but in a different show uh, and so a different story uh, so i had an idea uh, recently which i'm gonna sort of probably towards the end of this year start making notes on um how to continue the uh with the samurai chef character and some of the other main characters in that story uh, on a new journey, which is will be still within the universe, but a separate story. Really exciting to hear about that, actually. Yeah. Um, such a fantastic world that you built in that. It's a great story um, as well. Beautiful artwork uh, and very funny as well. Uh, yeah, we try and like, keep keep things humorous. I mean, it, it. I think yeah, just when I when I write, I try and keep things humorous. And even though we have different stories uh, within the universe. It's um, overall, we just want something that is like quite fun and entertaining. I mean, there's, there's always going to be different themes and uh, more serious themes at times. But yeah, just like keep it an entertaining read. And um, so could you tell us a little bit about the stuff that My Matter has done uh, outside of the graphic novels you've been doing? So we know a little bit about the Be Creative initiative and Gamepad. So how do those fit into the My Matter world? OK, um, yeah, so... I think as a brand and, and as people, we, we believe in the power of creativity and uh, believe that that's something that should be inspired in others and, and developed, particularly uh, in young people. Um, so the Be Creative campaign came from uh, an idea just to promote that concept. So it started with us getting, uh, we made some uh, notebooks and uh, at Comic-Con, we started talking to different artists and we wanted to get them to answer the question, what does creativity mean to you, uh, as a way to sort of promote that concept. So what they did is to illustrate their answers. So, um, so yeah, we had this uh, notebook and we wanted to talk to different um, artists and illustrators at Comic-Con. So we had the question we put to them, which is, what does creativity mean to you? Uh, and that was just a way of giving everyone the same question and then just showcasing the different responses. So, uh, being illustrators, they all uh, drew their responses. So we had this book of, uh, I think it was like 24 uh, illustrators, and we took it like to Comic-Con. Uh, I went to Thought Bubble in Leeds. We got a few there. Uh, I got um, some young people to do it as well, and it was just a mix of things. And then we had this event at the end of that year where we brought people together and we uh, raffled the, the book. So it went to a, a young lady that came to the event. But uh, we've got all the photos from the books or each of the pages. Um, and that kind of kick-started what then became uh, Be Creative Academy workshops. And the idea for us, again, being 
sort of believers in creativity and, and feeling that at school in particular it doesn't get like creativity isn't instilled in people isn't uh people are support to be creative uh, it's kind of i was gonna say be out of the moment yeah, let's go with that it's, it's kind, of, <laughs> kind of like be, being out of you at, at, at school and that's a shame um because we live in a world where i feel you need to be creative it's not just about remembering facts or or getting the one right answer it's about using your um you know critical thinking in creative ways to solve new problems so we have this um storytelling or uh, comic story workshop which is about getting young people to come up with their own characters and stories and put that together and then present that back and through that process they're building their creative confidence uh learning uh like uh transferable skills so you know writing team working presentation skills that they can then take into you know later school and um and career so that's where that came from and how that links into what we do as comic creators and sort of passing it out and it's not about making everyone you're going to become a comic creator but like taking those skills that you learn into your own thing into uh, whatever you want to do so yeah so that's something we, we do now do more work with schools uh, and then more recently we started our own video game event which um uh called gamepad and the idea was that because we're a new brand and we're creating these new characters and we know that people when it's new they're you know less likely to sort of take a risk on it so we thought let's come up with something that would allow us to take something people know which is video games uh, and use it as a way to bring people around our brand uh, and in the process kind of uh, again sort of creativity and, and fun uh, and we came up with this concept of social gaming so pushing the idea of inclusive uh, inclusive um gaming so bringing you know guys girls families all in the same place recreating that magic of playing together in the same room like we did when we were younger before the internet and it was like you had to actually leave your house to go and play with the next uh with your friends so so bringing that um concept back in in, in an event uh and yeah just making it um fun and social for people so kind of fits in around our brand um ideals and, and ethos so uh we're, we're yeah doing that like three times a year now um and just trying to build that into our own um own event that sounds really exciting because we're both bigger uh, switch fans as well we've seen that heavily promoted there so uh, yeah we're really lucky cool. enough to have like nintendo support us with they send us switch units and, and tvs to play play on so it's cool we get to you know talk to some gaming companies and get support from from them as well so do you think you would have been able to um expand into all these different events and forms of media if you'd been potentially kind of constrained by being you know, published by sort of one big comic book brand or, or tied to a larger organization does it help that you're a an independent small press when you're doing this uh yeah i think it like there you have total creative freedom so you can do what you want which comes with its own sort of pros and cons uh and i think with i guess being tied to a, a bigger publisher which you know may still be an option later down the line is you're kind of have to meet their aims as well or you or you might be put in a situation i can't claim to know exactly how it works but you might be in a situation where you, you might have an idea but you have to you know run it by someone and um, that's outside of your your creative team but i think for us it's about 
we want to establish ourselves as a as a brand as this is what we do this is what we don't do so when it comes to that point we still can have some creative control where we can say you know this this is us we've been doing this um as a brand for this long um and we'll continue to do that where can people um find you at conventions um online what what are your next things that you've got coming up so the best place is online our website which is myamada.com and there you'll be able to see a bit more of our characters and stories behind the brand to be able to purchase our comic books, our clothing, and then find out more information about the workshops and gamepad event. Um, we also try and attend uh, lots of comic conventions, pretty much as many as we can afford to. Um, uh, being small, uh, small creators, they are kind of a, a big expense, but you get a chance to talk to your fans and potential fans and get you know real feedback from people um so we do comic-con we do the london anime um and gaming con uh, our next one is hyper japan which is coming up uh july 14th to 16th and um you know we'll we'll have a store there we'll have all our merchandise uh, we'll be there so people can talk to us more about um our you know our journey our story our 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 comics uh, and then i think i'll be in manchester at the end of july um and uh where else oh yeah and then we have our next gamepad event on september 2nd so people can come to that in east london and tickets are available on our website as well so yeah um with that we'd like to say thank you to you nigel for joining us today to talk about all the wonderful stuff that my matter is doing and uh, we'd like to wish you a happy small press day yeah yeah thanks for having me guys yeah thanks for giving me the uh, yeah just opportunity to share what we do so that's it for episode 18 our small press special we hope you've enjoyed it Um, we're going to put details of all three of these small presses up on our website if you want to find them and see what kind of thing they're up to. Of course, you can always get in touch with us on the website, timeforcakesnl.com, or you can get in touch with us on Twitter, at TFCAA, and there's a Facebook page as well, Time for Cakes and Ale. So join us next time for episode 19 of Time for Cakes and Ale, and before that, maybe try some cherry pie and coffee, which we'll be back very soon too. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.